Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. evening. Um, my name's Hannah. I'm part of the team here at Central. And uh, we're continuing in our summer series called Hebrews. Um, well, it's not called Hebrews. It's called We Could Be Heroes. We could be heroes this evening, you and I. Um, and, and we're going through the book of Hebrews from the New Testament. Um, and I want to start by telling you a story. Okay? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the greatest spiritual drama of the Old Testament. So buckle your seatbelts. I hope you are ready. We are going to be reading through Exodus 14. So if you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn to that passage. It's very near the beginning of the Bible. So if you do this and then open it extremely near the beginning, you'll find Exodus and you're looking for chapter 14. If you get stuck, just ask the person next to you. And um, I'm going to just kind of tell you the story so you can follow it along in scripture. This is like the spiritual equivalent of the Susan Boyle audition. This is like prime time must view watching. I asked um, a friend earlier for an illustration that was slightly more relevant for those of you who might be, you know, above me in years, more senior and wise in the things of this world. And um, she said, perhaps the equivalent of who killed J.R., does that anybody put your hand up if you're a, okay. So I hit a few when I said that. I have to say when she asked me that, when she said that, I did ask her, who is JR? <laughs> but yeah, I digress. The story. There's this people called the Israelites, and they have been in Egypt for 400 years. They moved there when their pin-up wonder boy, Joseph, got a big job heading up famine disaster relief for the nation. They moved in and they reproduced like rabbits. The text says that. It says they multiplied greatly. One thing led to another. There's this mass of immigrant Hebrews in the land taking up valuable resources, drinking valuable water, taking up jobs. Anyone ringing in their ears? relevance today. And the Egyptians become suspicious of the Israelites. They're like, what, what are you doing here? And so they oppress them. They suppress them. They manipulate them. They enslave them with forced labor. Exodus 1.14, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. This was a people group so oppressed that there was actually a law um, that made infant genocide of their entire uh, nomadic people possible. All Hebrew newborn boys born to the Israelites had to be thrown immediately into the River Nile to be drowned after childbirth. This was horrific, barbaric oppression by the Egyptians. But God had a plan. And so calling Moses as their leader, and Carl talked about Moses last week, he, he says to his people, says to the Israelites, I see your oppression and I have not forgotten you. I'm going to change this situation. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out of this land and into a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the people walk out of their enforced labor camps out through the desert towards the Red Sea, towards freedom, believing that God 
is leading them. But this being the greatest spiritual drama of the Old Testament, uh, you won't be surprised to learn this was not a cakewalk to freedom, okay? Things start going wrong. When Pharaoh realizes his entire workforce has left the building, um, he pursues them with his army. He's not happy. I'm going after these guys, and I'm getting them back because I'm the big guy. 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. This is a moment of great crisis. When my husband has man flu, he says to me sometimes, I'm going to die. I don't know if any of don't try it, it doesn't work. I'm like, no, you're not. Go back to bed. <laughs> This is basically what the Egyptians say here. We're going to die. They are utterly terrified. This is kind of, we're about to face annihilation at the hands of the Egyptian army with our children who we are holding in our hands. They are about to kill us. Verse 11, verse 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve them than to die in the desert. And then something incredible happens. Verse 16, God says to Moses, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I absolutely love kids' films. I have to confess that the film I most cried at in the cinema ever was Toy Story 3. Um, so I'm going to inflict my love of kids' films on you just now, and we're going to watch a four-minute clip that kind of tells us the rest of this story from the wonderful Disney film that is Prince of Egypt. With this staff, you shall do my wonders. So it was a long time ago, but this is our history. This is our God. This is the same God. We are still the people of God, and we are people of faith. And the question I want to ask this evening, and just, just to chew over a bit together, what does it mean that we are that people, people of faith? We face our own crisis don't we? The people of God. This church, perhaps, you might say, is facing a crisis. On the one hand, we have the Red Sea of the 98% of this nation who do not know Jesus. And on the other, we have the enemy of our own self-doubt and fear, our inability to step out onto the promises of God, and a very real enemy himself, Satan. And so in those moments of crisis, what does it mean for us that we are a people of faith? Firstly, I think it means that we are called and accompanied. Why? Because we have a God who has a vision for our lives, and we learn that from the Exodus story. God was not content to let the Israelites sit and squander their strength 
in the Egyptian uh, workforce. He, was, he had not forgotten them. He had a vision and a plan for them. And God has a vision and a plan for us, for you individually, and we've talked about some of that the last few weeks together, what it means that God calls us to courage and boldness and gives us dreams and ideas and visions and, and heart for particular things. But, but God calls us to that stuff together as well. We are one people of faith. We are called. We are not forgotten or overlooked. And the wonderful thing about being a people who are called is that we are also accompanied. God gives us these dreams to see a nation come back to Jesus, to see the transformation of the seven mountains of culture, business, government, education, media. I'm going to forget the rest. I'm going to stop there. He's given us this vision. We've called it Ken. And, and he says that he will go with us. It's not like... He, he went to Moses like, all right, Moses, let's have a chat, lad. Um, you'll be needing this. It's a get out of Egypt, Scott free card. Um, just give it to Pharaoh. And that's pretty much it. I'm just going to take a little road trip around the galaxy. I'll see you in a few years. Just, you know, get the people to the promised land. Off you go. No, <laughs> that's, not, that's not how God works. That's not how faith works. God goes with us. He is for you. And he goes with you. He doesn't leave you to do this stuff on your own. And we can be confident of that because that's what this story tells us. He goes with us. And I think some of the challenge for us this next year, what God wants us to learn is that um, his, his presence with us is the most precious thing that we can know. What it means as a church to really tarry with the presence of God. And I don't just mean like some, you know, funny, weirdy, weirdy, supernatural experience. Although, you know, some of us might have that and that's great. The, the, you know, tangible reality of God's love is a precious thing. But what it means to actually host the presence of God. What it means that in this city, people will talk about this church as something different about them. Because God is with them. I think God has so much for us to discover here, the wildest adventure of learning what it means to host and to carry his presence as a church, as a people of faith. We are called and we are accompanied. But any of you who have been, like me, walking with Jesus for longer than two and a half minutes, know that life with Christ, a life of faith, is not exactly a walk in the park, is it? Sometimes it's hard. Anyone else? Sometimes? Anyone find it hard? About five of you? Okay, I'm going to speak to you guys for five minutes. Um, <laughs> it's easy maybe to assume, like Israel, that milk and honey are going to be an immediate reality. Perhaps, you know, Moses said to them, God's going to deliver you. And they were like, great. See you tomorrow for a barbecue in the promised land. The sun is going to shine. <laughs> but faith doesn't quite work like that. It's really hard, I think, to be a Christian in this culture, this Western culture that tells us that we are religious fruitcakes. To be a people of faith, to have any kind of spiritual concept of the supernatural. <laughs> I think that's, that's really hard. That's tough. We face opposition. We are opposed, but we are also delivered. The reality of faith is that we are still a people who are opposed. They, these guys were opposed, weren't they? 
I mean, Pharaoh and the army is a fairly blatant, full-on clue to that whole scenario. But we are likewise opposed. And I think for me recently, one of the things that God's really been breaking my heart over is the opposition that our brothers and sisters face in some of the places of the world at the minute. And, you know, places like Syria and Iraq are getting more media coverage at the minute. But this stuff has been, it's been going on for centuries. And I wanted to tell you just a little bit about my friend Suzanne from Syria, who I've gotten to know recently, because I think it's really good for us to know this is family. Just because they're not necessarily in this building on a Sunday doesn't mean that they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. And my friend Suzanne, she is an extremely intelligent young woman. She, um, she moved here to do her PhD because Assad's regime actually sponsored the top 2% of their graduates to come and study for um, master's and PhD programs here in the UK. And so she's here, she's just finishing writing up her um, thesis She comes from a Christian family in Syria. And her father-in-law was a pharmacist for 30 years. He operated a pharmacy in a Muslim town. He was highly respected in the region, southern Syria. And so basically to be a pharmacist in, in that area is akin to being a doctor. People would come to you in the night. Women would be giving birth. He would go out to their homes. He treated people for free. He was a man greatly respected in the community. And two years ago, he arrived at work to find a note pinned to his pharmacy door. Shut down or we'll burn you down. So he shut down. 30 years, the legacy of love and service that he had given to that community just trampled in the dust. No income for the last two years, just living in this Christian, mostly Christian village, surrounded by these five Muslim towns, one of which he'd had his pharmacy in, all under the influence of ISIS. And Suzanne, heartbreaking, (laughs) tells me, just matter-of-factly, within 30 minutes, that entire Christian village could be wiped out, massacred. And she wouldn't know. Her entire extended family in that one Syrian Christian village and that's, that's replicated across the entire Middle East. This is the persecution. This is the opposition. Our brothers and sisters, our church faces at this time. And it's awful. It's barbaric. And it's important that we pray like we've never prayed before for the persecuted church at this time. We are an opposed people. I'm just going to sit down for five minutes because I'm a bit pregnant. (laughs) Um, Let's just dig a little bit deeper into the scripture here. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to verse five. I want to teach you guys a little bit. This is important. I think particularly what we are opposed over is our identity. Let's look at verse five. We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Pharaoh's issue was a matter of ownership. He, he didn't really care um, about preserving their cultural heritage or, um, you know, looking after their family values or setting up, you know, a museum for the Israelites to come and learn about their cultural heritage. He just cared about their economic value. I think oppressors tend to value you for what you can do and not 
who you are. And like Israel, there is still a war over us and over our identity as we are opposed. That's the now and the not yet of the kingdom, isn't it? That's the reality that we face. Our enemy, Satan, God's enemy, therefore our enemy, cares about what we do and not who we are. How many of you know that's replicated in you know, the subtle things that culture tries to tell us? You matter because of what you look like. You matter because of what job you do or do not have. You matter because of your relationship status. You're valued for these things. But God has something else to say because in this story, God comes through for them. This question about ownership comes to Israel at a point of complete helplessness. I mean, you you saw the DVD. They could do nothing about the crisis moment that they found themselves. They were completely helpless, and God comes through for them. It's as if he stands up from the throne, and he says to them, mine, you're mine, you belong to me, you are mine. I, I myself, I will deliver you, I will make a way, I, I will save you, you are mine. You are mine. And I think what happens in crisis moments is that we learn just how much it is that God cares for us. That's certainly been my experience. Those moments of crisis where we're stuck between the promise of God on one hand and the fulfillment of the promise of God in the other. We're in the middle and we're not seeing the breakthrough that we want to see to get to where we think God is calling us to be. I remember one particular point in my life, I had a really difficult six months and um, God really came through for me. He made a way. It was a prophetic word that a friend gave me. And I remember being on the phone to this friend. She'd just given me this word that had completely made sense of everything that was going on in my life at the time. And just absolutely sobbing down the phone. She could probably barely work it. You know when you get to that point in crying where you're like completely red-faced and just like the most ugly you've ever looked. And like, like this down the phone to her. I said, he cares for me. He cares for me. That's what God coming through for me told me. He cares for me. Last Christmas, I, I had up the prophetic ministry here at Central and I took a prophetic team to the Cap Christmas Fair. And so um, basically what we do is we invite people in and, and they can come and sit down with two or three of the team and we will just ask God, what's your best for this person? How do you see them? And we just speak out what we hear and what we see. And most of the people there were not Christian. This lady comes and sits down in the chair. And, uh, you know, the team are doing great. I'm, I'm really pleased with them. I'm like thinking, this, this is great. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, I get like this burning heat in my ear. And I'm like, oh, no. I actually thought something slightly stronger than, oh, no, but you're all nice people. So I'm going to repeat it here this evening. I was like, oh, um, I'm going to have to say something, God. And I was supposed to be leading the team, so, you know, I felt a bit like, you know, I should probably, you know, step up, show them how it's done. It's a complete lie. And so <laughs> I, I said to the lady, Do, I've got this strange heat in my ear. Is there anything wrong with your ear? Does that mean anything to you? She's like, yeah, I'm completely deaf in that ear. At which point I'm thinking even something stronger than what I said before. <laughs> 
So I said, well, would it be all right if I put my hand on your ear and we just prayed? Because I think maybe God has something to say about that. She's like, sure, knock yourself up. So I put my hand on her ear and, and we pray in the name of Jesus. We say, ear, be healed in the name of Jesus. I like to keep these things fairly simple. Um, and she suddenly, looking around, she's like, what did you do? It's like, we, we just prayed. My ear is vibrating. I was like, well, maybe that's a good thing. I've not really done this before, so... <laughs> I'll pray again. 20 minutes later, she gets up from that chair with complete hearing in her left ear. Incredible. This lady was not a Christian. She remains completely healed to this day. In that crisis moment, the doctors could not figure out what was wrong with her ear. God came through for her. But what it told her, God cares for me. He cares about me. He sees me where I am with my shortcomings, my, the stuff that's messed up in my life, my family. He sees me and he cares about me. In crisis moments, we learn just how much it is that God cares for us. And I think ultimately we learn that from Jesus, right? Jesus. You see... The Israelites, they pass through the Red Sea, but we get to pass through Jesus. He's the one who delivers us. He's the one who shows us, this is how much I love you. This, this is how much I care for you. I was willing to go here for you. I was willing to take on all the sin, all the sickness, all the despair, all the suffering, all the barbaric violence and injustice of the world on myself. This is how much I love you. This is how much I care for you. We pass through him. So Exodus 14 teaches us that the battle belongs to God. We're called, we're accompanied, we're opposed, we're delivered. But what does faith actually look like as we are that kind of people? How do we posture ourselves? And I think the key for us here is is a word obedience. Obedience. Now, obedience is maybe a bit of a boring word. I don't know about you, but I hear the word obedience, I'm like, ugh. Um, But I think it it needs reimagining a little bit. So I'd love just to do that with you guys this evening. Obedience. What does obedience look like? Moses says to the people in their moment of crisis, verse 13 and 14, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I have condensed Moses' suggestion for obedience into three things. Stand still, shut up, walk forward. Three suggestions for posturing ourselves with obedience, being a people of faith. Stand still. 
Moses says to them, stand still, stand firm. Do not move from where you are. Do not run into the sea to drown yourselves and your children on the one hand. And do not resign yourself to the annihilation of your enemy. Stand still. Sometimes in those crisis moments as the people of God, we have to just look up. There is no other place to look. Stand still. Look up. Let God be God. Let him come through for you. Don't run around trying to solve everything yourself. Have you actually stopped in that moment of crisis? I don't know what to do. To say, God, what would you do? Stand still. Shut up. I hope I don't offend you here. (laughs) But basically, it's completely biblical, so I'm going to get away with it anyway. (laughs) This is the literal translation of the Hebrew for stand still. Shut your mouth. Stop verbalizing the plans of the oppressor over your life because that's only going to build fear in you and in the people around you. I am literally the world's worst person at doing this. I, you know, I'll have a bad week and I'll get home and, and I'll say to my husband, I'm such a failure, I can't, I can't do anything. It's like I get this kind of severe case of self-pityitis, this kind of verbal diarrhea of self-loathing comes out of my mouth. And believe me, it helps nobody, myself included. But do you know, I think there are those moments when we're in a moment of crisis, we just need to shut up. And I don't mean never talk about the hard stuff, because that's really important, that's different. But if faith is taking God at his word, it's probably more helpful to talk about his word than verbalize the plans of the oppressor. Walk forward. I think a really good question when we find ourselves stuck between a Red Sea and oppressive enemy is to ask, what is God's to-do over here? What's on God's to-do list? And what is mine to-do? You see, in this story, that it went a bit like this. God's to-do list was deliver Israel. And the Israelites' to-do list was walk forward. Verse 15, God tells them to get moving. And I think there comes a point in obedience, you know, when we're in a crisis, when we're having a hard time, when we don't know what to do, when sometimes we just have to put one foot in front of another foot and walk forward through the door that God seems to be opening for us. And that's, that's really vulnerable. Graham Cook says this, submission is where we make ourselves vulnerable to the goodness of God. How many of you know that obedience that costs us? Costs us, right? Yeah. Costs us our reputation, costs us our pride, costs us our sense of like wanting to have everything mapped out before we know. I, I hold my hands up here. Like I want a kind of 20-year blueprint download on where God's leading me. <laughs> and God's like, sorry, doesn't, doesn't work like that. Obedience costs us. It costs us to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus and to trust him. And I'm not going to lie to you. I think that's a really hard place to be in, especially if this evening you've stepped out in faith before and your experience has not been what you expected. That's, that's really hard. 
And hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that obedience is like brainwashed, blind compliance. You know, we don't become Christians and and live as people of faith and leave our brains at the door. God says, bring the whole of yourself in to my house. The whole of you is welcome. All your questions, all your doubts, all your fears. But just let me in with that stuff. But there comes, I think, a moment in the journey of being God's people, God's people of faith, where we reach the end of ourselves and we find ourselves lacking. And any normal person would find themselves in that place and they would ask, why? Why me? Why this suffering? I've been walking by faith and it's been hard, but I've been obedient. Why this oppression? And for whatever reason, God brings his people, the Israelites, to this horrendous place. They're hemmed in on every side. They're stuck between a Red Sea and an oppressive enemy. And I think it's really important that we don't dodge this. Why would God so harden Pharaoh's heart that the Israelites find themselves in this situation? And I know it's getting a bit late, but I think it's important that I just go there. So I've got three points, and then we're going to finish and and worship God together and and respond to whatever he might be saying. So three suggestions. I mean, this is a massive topic. I could say so much here. But just three suggestions why. Why would God do that? Firstly, to break stuff off us. It takes tight places to break lifetime habits. You see, the Israelites had lived in Egypt for so long that they had become like Egyptians. They'd forgotten what it was to be a people of faith. They'd forgotten what it was to follow their God. Pressing squeezes the stuff out of us that should not be there and forms us more into the image of Christ and more into the people that God had in mind when he made us. That's that's what it does. Hear what I am not saying. Please hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying all the suffering and oppression that we experience is the direct hand of God. I really, I don't believe that. I think we live in a broken world and God has an enemy and and it's hard. But I do think that as we let God into our experience of the now and the not yet, that he can shape us, he can break us, he can he will be with you and he, and, and he will teach you things with the tenderness and the kindness. Like I have never so experienced the kindness of God's heart as in those moments of crisis where suffering has squeezed the stuff out of me. I have never known the tenderness of God more than in those moments of utter brokenness. I think maybe that's some of what God has for us this evening. Break stuff off us. Secondly, to teach us faith. When the people saw what God had done, verse 31 of chapter 14, the people feared the Lord. They saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. Their enemy dealt with once and for all. God had had the last word. They feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Pharaoh threw absolutely everything he had at God, and it wasn't enough. It was not even a smidgen 
of enough. God came through. God made a way. And I think God was showing Israel that they could trust him more than anybody else, more than anything else. They could trust him, and they could trust Moses. This was also about the vindication of their leader. They were about to follow him into the desert for 40 years. I think they needed to know that they were following the right guy, right? Teach us faith. So what do we learn here? If God's to get the glory, he must do the fighting. So we need to, and this is a, you know, to-do list for me. I need to stop taking God's to-do list off him and acting like it's mine to fix. I think if, if, if we're really going to see care and, you know, this vision for the nation to see the 98% come to know Jesus, we need to quit acting as if we're the answer and start learning how to pray like he's the answer. He's the hero. Are we going to let him do the fighting? And secondly, he, he really doesn't take kindly to other gods. He's really just not up for them. I think that's what Exodus 14 tells us. So if you know that there are areas in your life where God would have the authority rather than what is there, then I humbly beg you this evening to reconsider what that might look like. Where, where does God need to take number one place in your heart this evening? just ask him in. It's really as simple as that. God, come and be my number one. Is that a pop song? Okay. And then lastly, to give us a story. Why? Why the suppression? To give us a story. We need stories. We are, we are a narrative people. That is the way that we are made. Stories define us. They tell us, this is who you are. And, and this story for the Israelites told them for centuries afterwards to this day in synagogues across the world this is the story that Jewish people talk about this is their defining narrative and yet we have this greater story of Jesus the one whom we pass through to give us a story we are the people who pass through we are God's people so we are called we are accompanied we are not forgotten, we are not overlooked, we are not left in an Egyptian graveyard this evening. God has a good for you, for me, for us as a church. We are called in the company. We are opposed, we are delivered, and we are called to obedience. He goes with us. Should we pray? Yeah. Do you want to stand with me and let's just respond to whatever Holy Spirit's been doing in, in our hearts this evening? Let's just be quiet together in, in his presence. And um, just as we, as we stand together, just be asking God, God, come and, come and speak. Come and do what you want to do. Let's just lay down our own agendas and just allow him in. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And Father, I just want to start by bringing before you 
our brothers and sisters around the world who really pay some of the physical price for following you. They know the reality of opposition like we do not know in this country, and we want to start by honouring them. We say that we love them. We declare that you know them. You have not forgotten them either. Your heart towards them is kind and is good, and we thank you that even now, hundreds of people are coming to faith in you across the Middle East, that despite and perhaps even because of persecution, your church is growing. And we bless that and we ask, Father, would you, would you continue to do what you are doing there? And would you make us faithful to pray for our brothers and sisters in the world? And Father, we want to receive whatever it is that you want to do in us this evening here with this church, with us. God, there was... There was a lot that I <laughs> said this evening, so I just want to pray, Father, you know, the stuff that was just of me and didn't need to be said, would you just blow it away? And, and the stuff, Father, that, that you were speaking and that you would use to embolden our boldness, to encourage our courage this evening, would it sink deep? And just as I was speaking, if, if you really resonated with that, that word about feeling forgotten, feeling overlooked, like you've been walking with obedience and being faithful as you know how, but you just feel a bit stuck or just a bit like you've just got content with status quo, maybe a bit disillusioned. I just have a sense of God wanting to come alongside you this evening with the tenderness of his presence, just whispering to your heart, I have not forgotten you. Just let him speak that this evening, if that's his word to you. So, Father, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters. If that was you, you might just want to put out a hand, just, just as a sign, God, I'm here, I'm ready, I, I want what, what you have. I pray for my brothers and sisters who feel that way this evening, Father, that you would, you would shake them up. That they would know the embrace of your heart this evening the kindness of your love. And I think maybe for others of us, um, just what I'm sensing is that that word about obedience, actually, you already know what obedience <laughs> looks like because God's already told you. Um, and... And there's just a sense of laying down some of the stuff that it's going to cost you to walk in that way. Maybe pride, reputation, friendships. Just life is going to have to look a bit different. And that's going to be a bit tough. Um, but can I just encourage you? It's going to be worth it. Like, so worth it. Um, so can I pray for you if that's you? Father, I, I just pray for my brothers and sisters who just you are asking, you are inviting them into an adventure of obedience. And I just bless them this evening to know that you are worth it all. You are worth it all. And then, yeah, just anything that is keeping them stuck in that place from walking forward into obedience, we just break that right now in the name of Jesus and we say it has no place 
here. No place holding back the people of God from being people of faith in this city and in this nation. I pray they would receive your propelling tonight.